Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're tuned in to an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett, Brian Scott Rippey, coming up in just a second. And today's guest, former Ole Miss linebacker Joel Kite, coming to us on the Modern Women phone line. But before we get to it, let me tell you about my bookie. Winning season has returned at MyBookie, and winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor, Super Contests, and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code TOC, Talk of Champions, TOC, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code TOC and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey at BS Rippey. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit. OleMissSpirit.com and affiliate 247 Sports. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review Talk of Champions on iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. Say what you want to say. It doesn't matter as long as it's a five-star review. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Today's guest coming to you on the Modern Woman phone line. It's former Ole Miss linebacker Joel Kite. He's back home in Lithonia, Georgia defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at his old high school he's coming up in just a little bit but first rippy what's up man how you doing pretty good dude how about you not a whole lot going on over here a lot of rain yeah not a lot going on over here as far as we know Omus is still practicing we assume they are we're not looking at them we're not watching them in practice but we're assuming they're practicing yeah i mean we got a obviously with the holiday i mean it's a quicker turnaround than we're used to but presumably you got sam williams back in some capacity today this is uh this is the your normal late August, right, where it's not quite game week yet. You don't really know what else there's left to talk about. If there's a dog days of training camp, this is kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, this is it. We're in that purgatory, that purgatory period where you're waiting to get some games, to have something to talk about that's meaningful, actually have some substance outside of speculation since we're not going to practices. But I thought this would be a good time before we get to Joel Kite to do a little buy and sell for the 10-game All-SEC shortened 2020 season. Sound good? Let's roll. Idiot! Get back in there at once and sell, sell! It's buy-sell time here on Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's Brian Scott Rippey. Joel Kite, former Ole Miss linebacker. He's coming up in just a little bit. Buy or sell is not an easy thing to transition to, but I'm going to try it anyway. Buy or sell, Jerry Ely last year netted 722 yards rushing. Buy or sell, Jerry Ely as a 1,000-yard rusher in 2020. Oh, man, I was thinking that you were maybe going to say over the 700 and I was going to buy easily even with the two fewer games. I'll still buy. I think he sets the world on fire this year. I think his volume of carries is higher than it is a year ago. And I mean, that's 100 a game. If it were all purpose, I'd have an easier time doing it. But I'll be I'll be optimistic here. I'm buying stock in Jerry Neely, so I'll buy that. If it was all purpose, it's an easy buy. For sure. 60.2 rushing yards per game last year. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was looking at the stats as I was preparing to do this podcast, I kind of forgot that Jerry Ely finished second on the team in rushing. Leading the way in rushing was John Rice Blumley. He had 
1,023 yards. Obviously, the first freshman quarterback in Ole Miss history to um, topple 1,000 yards rushing. But Jerry Neely finished second. It wasn't Scotty Phillips. We knew it wasn't Snoop Connor. But it really hurt that Scotty Phillips got hurt, but also lost carries even when he was healthy to Jerry Neely and Snoop Connor. And if Jerry Neely is as much the focal point of this offense as he could potentially be, I think it's an easy buy, to be honest with you. Do you really think that Henry Parrish is going to dip too much into Jerion Ely's touches? I don't. The word we're getting out of camp is that Ole Miss is trying to find carries for Snoop Connor. Not to say Snoop isn't doing well or that they don't trust Snoop or don't think he's a quality running back and can help him, but I think they think that highly of Jerion Ely to where they just want to get him the ball as much as they possibly can, be it in the running game or the passing game. But if it's in the running game, 100 yards on average every single game, I don't think it's too far outside the realm of possibility. The only thing that gives me pause is that it's a 10-game All-SEC schedule. And what a magnificent problem to have, right, if you're Ole Miss, because if there's one running, I mean, if there's one position that's susceptible to injuries, you're thinking, or I guess two, I'm, the first thing that comes to mind is offensive line and running back. And to have that sort of issue where you're trying to find carries for a heavy contributor like Snoop Connor, uh, pretty good problem to have. But I agree. I just, I didn't necessarily, when I was thinking about buy sell on this one, whether it'd be the volume of carries, I just assumed that'd be a given. There's not really any natural bell cows anymore. But, like, his volume I did not think was much of an issue. It was just the sheer amount of games. Because 1,000 yards rushing in 10 games is, is not easy, particularly in the SEC. And there's no – like, he's not he's not padding it with 260 against ULM or something. You know, it, they got to bring it every week. He totaled 104 carries in 722 yards for a 6.9 yards per carry average. Buy or sell 130 carries for Jerry Ely. Oh, buy. Big time. I would go way over that. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's 13 per game. Here's the problem with Jerry Ely toting the ball 20, 25 times. Like you mentioned, in college football, the NFL, there are very few true bell cows anymore. Now, if you wanted to put touches at 25 a game, that's an easy buy for me because he's going to be catching a lot of passes too. But 13 per game, that seems about right if you're evenly distributing the carries, but I don't think they're going to evenly distribute the carries. So yeah, it's an easy buy for me, but that's where, if you're wondering why I put the total so low, if Henry Parrish is going to have a role, if Snoop Connor is going to have a role, how many times are they going to truly rush a game? Especially if they got Matt Corral at quarterback and you know that Lane Kiffin wants to throw. That's why Matt Corral has the leg up, right? Presumably. To your point, I mean, how many times are they going to run a game? I mean, there's X amount of carries with a probably decent variance, depending on what's happening. You're ahead, you're behind. I just, I think there's enough to go around where I'm pretty comfortable with both of these. I go way over 130 or whatever it was you said, and I think he gets to 1,000. I think he gets over 1,000. Can you tell me the two players that tied for the team lead in interceptions for Ole Miss last year? Was it DeAndre Prince? One of those freshmen like that picked off Burrow once had another one throughout the year, and I want to say Prince was maybe one of them. I'm on the right track there. Yes, yes. DeAndre Prince was one of the two. Can you name the other one without clicking around and looking? Oh, man. No, I can't name the other one, but I'm going to give it a guess and say John Haynes. Now, that's my guess, but I don't think that's right. Donta Evans. Okay. Donta Evans and DeAndre Prince tied for the team leading interceptions with two apiece. Donta Evans has taken a leave of absence from the team, and DeAndre Prince isn't on the roster this year. He's expected to come back next year. He's going Juco for a year and then expected to come back. But those two guys that led Ole Miss in interceptions, they're not on the team. You know who was third? Benito Jones with one. And, of course, he was amongst five, six Six guys tied for with five other guys with one, but Benito Jones on this official stat sheet was number three. So buy or sell an Ole Miss cornerback, be it Keydron Smith, Jalen Jones, you name it, an Ole Miss cornerback leading to Ole Miss in interceptions. Mm, sell, think it comes from safeties. Is Otis Reese eligible? John Haynes, healthy John Haynes. I'll go, who is it? Actually, you know what? I'll go buy. I say Keedron Smith leads the team in interceptions. I'm going sell. Maybe it's the linebackers. Maybe it's the middle of the field safeties. I think you bring up a good point. We talked on the last podcast about Otis Reese and Dean Leonard both waiting for eligibility from the NCAA and how ridiculous that is. JT Daniels, I keep bringing it up, I'm sorry, but it just drives me nuts. JT Daniels announces his transfer from USC in April, and he's cleared in June to play at Georgia. Otis Reese transfers to Ole Miss December, January, February, and he's still waiting a couple of weeks out from Ole Miss opening the 2020 season 
against Florida. Actually, he's supposed to be playing games right now. Remember, the season was supposed to have started by now, but COVID, of course, threw it for a loop. So Otis Reese still doesn't know, and we're effectively into the season, or the season window, if you will. I don't know if Otis Reese would be that guy for me, but if you made me guess, one of those linebackers is going to lead Ole Miss in interceptions. Don't ask me which one. Okay, I like that. Buy or sell Lakia Henry leading Ole Miss in tackles. I'm going to buy that because he played a ton of snaps last year. Would assume it's the same this year. He's kind of one of the. He's the guy that's all over the place. Not that they would necessarily ease Momo Sonogo back in, but I just like Lakia Henry for asking me who plays more snaps. I don't think either one of them comes off the field very much, but he just seemed to be like a guy that was everywhere. He reminded me of the Momo Sonogo of 20. 18, I guess that was. I'm going to go by. But I also think they maybe asked Momo to do a little bit more different things. So I'm going to go uh, uh, Lakia Henry by leading tackler. Uh, I probably would too. The only contender, I think, to challenge him would be Momo because of the past production, like you mentioned. He got hurt last year. Otherwise, he'd have been up there too. But Lakia Henry did 17 better than Jacquez Jones, who finished second in tackles with 71 to Lakia Henry's 88. I think you got to go with the leader in the clubhouse. Momo, though, if he's healthy, fully healthy, He's going to push for that. I think all the linebackers are playing the same positions. They're rotating in and out. I think there's going to be a little bit more of a rotation there to where one guy doesn't have to stay on the field like Lakia did for pretty much every single snap. So if that's the case, you could see it be more evenly spread out. But I think in the end, Lakia is going to be the one that leads um, Ole Miss and tackles. Buy or sell Sam Williams five and a half sacks. Hmm. Now, remember, last year he had six. Bye if he starts fast. I don't know what this time away does to him. Like, I just don't really know how to accurately gauge that. I would buy it in normal circumstances with even two fewer games. But I'll go bye. But, like, if he takes two and a half games to kind of get in, like, a rhythm or any sort of rhythm, then he has to be tough. But I'll buy that. Whatever. I think I bought every time. You have bought every single time. I am selling Sam Williams at five and a half. And it has nothing to do with getting cleared late because of the sexual battery charge that he was cleared of this week. He started practicing earlier this week, back in full on Wednesday. Had six sacks last year, but look who we had around him. Benito Jones occupied space. Josiah Coatney occupied space. It's asking a lot of Ryder Anderson, T. Tisdale, those guys, to give Sam Williams the same kind of production that he got last year. Offenses are going to key in on Sam Williams. They're not going to allow him to beat them. If Sam Williams is the focal point and he's taken away, then somebody else then would probably be the one that leads the way in sacks. I could see like four, four and a half, but I think he's going to be such a focal point for opposing offenses that somebody else is going to take the mantle for sacks for Ole Miss this year. If you look at the stats, Josiah Coatney, two sacks. How many tackles for loss? Three and a half. Benito Jones, five and a half sacks. Ten tackles for loss. How do you compensate for Benito Jones being a wrecking ball that disrupted everything in the middle of the offensive line? Who can step in and be that guy? So effectively, an offensive line can focus on Sam Williams and one-on-one block whoever's on the inside. Ryder Anderson, and Ryder Anderson, he's only 275 pounds. So I think it's going to be hard. As good as Sam Williams is, and as important as he is for this defense, opposing offenses know who your best players are. Sam Williams is a proven commodity, and there are very few proven commodities for sure superstars on this defense. Lakia Henry's one of them. Sam Williams is the other one. Be hard to really pinpoint somebody else. There are some really good guys, strong guys, solid guys like Keydron, John Haynes, in my opinion, Jalen Jones when he's at his best. But they know who the superstars are. I'm talking about opposing teams. Yeah, I'm just going to throw in Luke Knox to piss you off. God bless Luke Knox. We still haven't heard what's going on with Luke Knox. What happened to him? Is he, is he still around? Like, That's the it, thing. What's going on? I got to ask Lane Kiffin about Luke Knox. Well, or any defensive player. Is Luke Knox out there? Is he alive? Or is he one of the 27 players? 27. 27. Dealing with either injury or COVID right now for Ole Miss football. It's going to be something Yikes. that Ole Miss deals with all year. Okay. Buy or sell with all this cross-training stuff. Actually seeing sequences in games of Ole Miss's defensive line or offensive line, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, wide receivers, cornerbacks, playing the other side of the ball. Is this one guy or like what's the threshold here what, for this to qualify 
as being a thing. Like, because if one guy has to do it, I mean, okay. I mean, Matt Luke. Three, three or Tyler more Knight. guys at one time having to switch to the other side of the ball because of COVID. Cautiously sell, but that's just because I don't want to deal with the nauseating storylines. Who are the guys that they could really cross-train? I know you could talk about cross-training right now, but that sounds like an emergency situation. Tyler Knight's obvious. I mean, Mark Britt, right? Oh, he's obviously, well, he's doing it right now. He was playing right. well at wide receiver, then they moved him to safety, and he's starting. Is there anyone on the, on the, in that receiver group that could do anything in the secondary? Who? Not really. Like, more? No. I mean. Not Miles Battle. And they're sure no. as hell not risking Jerrion Ely playing him on defense for any meaningful amount of time. No way. Snoop Connor either. No. Can you imagine uh, the oldest spirit message board if Ely tweaked an ankle playing an outside linebacker? Remember when Robert Kendici got hurt at Memphis? <laughs> now multiply that by about 100. And that's the reaction you would get for Jerrion Ely this year. Cross training. I don't oh, know if I buy the cross-training stuff too much. I really don't know if I buy it. I think they'd much prefer to go way down the well, but they don't really have that luxury at certain positions. I mean, the secondary has proven that. They really can't go very far down the well if they get hit with COVID, and that's going to be a reality. The offensive line is dealing with a lot of COVID right now, but who on the defensive line can really cross-train to be an offensive lineman if they need them to? Here's one, Patrick Lucas, maybe. Uh, that's a good one. Along those lines, Ladarius Cox, is that possible? <laughs> Watching big number seven play guard? <laughs> I mean, Just have him hike it, see if he can play center. Their third team center on Saturday, when the Ole Miss defense had its best day, was having a lot of trouble snapping the ball. Could help explain a lot, especially um, Ole Miss on third down, I think were held to a conversion rate of 10%. Is Teak Tisdale heavy enough to play somewhere on the edges if they had to have like an emergency tackle? Can you really see T. Tisdale being a tackle, even a right tackle? I mean, really, can we see no, that? No, but, like, no. what are we talking about here at the same time? That's a great question. I don't This cross-training stuff's got me thrown for a loop. All right, buy or sell. Kenny Yaboa will have more touchdowns than Jonathan Mingo. Ooh. Sell. But that's just because of the storylines that you keep hearing about how good Mingo looks. I do think the tight end will be used more, but I think just in terms of I mean, don't you think he'll he'll have some sap, snaps siphoned, siphoned away or targets, whatever, by Chase Rogers, the kid from ULL, if healthy? I think Yaboa is your starting tight end. I'm not necessarily suggesting anything other than that. I just think there's going to be many more opportunities for Jonathan Mingo because, I mean, he's kind of it outside of Elijah Moore right now, so I'll sell that. We'll get right back to Brian Scott Rippey in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford and Cheney's Pharmacy. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity, to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hitting add to cart, purchase. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. And that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, they're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, the only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine, has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. 
Give Chaney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Buy or sell five touchdowns for Jonathan Mingo. Mm, by it may be a long year for Ole Miss if that's not yeah if that doesn't come to fruition buy or sell 25 touchdowns 25 for Matt Corral that's two and a half a game two and a half a game can't go there I'm selling that what does he do against Florida 20 of 31 for 240 and two touchdowns is he throwing a pick yeah, I was gonna. I was deciding between one and two as you asked that. <laughs> I mean, it's just gonna happen. I mean, I don't mean to like. Do- I mean, I think. I think. I mean, I, I would. If you're asking me who to buy stock in in terms of Ole Miss's like solution long term, like I, I would fall on the on Team Corral. But I do think mistakes are gonna happen, particularly in this you know crazy ass scenario that we're throwing these guys into. So I, I would definitely say one. So I'll I'll say one pick. I'll be the optimist there. John Rice Plumley, there's a cross training candidate for you. Uh, yeah, but where? Safety. Safety. Yeah, but Lane Kiffin did say that they have not even remotely repped him at any other position yet. So how could he really help you in season? How long would it take him? How many weeks if he's only preparing to be a quarterback up until the season opener? And say Matt Corral wins the job and he's in the lead right now. How many weeks does he need? to be able to realistically help you in the secondary if you need him to? That's a great question. I mean, you just saw a whole year where Ole Miss just kind of went with the basic, quite a few basic sets, fronts, I would say whatever you call it, and it really helped the team devoid of talent. And that's kind of what Mike McIntyre does. The way Lane Kiffin worded his answer the other day when he was talking about the whole cross-training thing is that they have a few basic packages and so if Plumlee's doing that, you figure that's the case. So I figured he would pick up on it okay. So I guess it depends on your definition of help, but I would say two weeks. I think he can pick it up in two games. Buy or sell somebody in the field leading Ole Miss in catches, or it's Elijah Moore. So buy the field or sell the field, topping Elijah Moore in catches. Sell the field. I still think it's more on sheer volume, but it doesn't look anything close to last year because that's almost – Aside from a, like a service academy, would you be hard-pressed to find the catch disparity between number one and number two, which, by the way, was a running back in Jerry Ely and catches for Ole Miss last year? It's I mean, embarrassing. You would have to – yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's honestly jaw-dropping. I'm still going to go by. I think they force-feed him the ball, particularly out of the slot, high volume of catches, but uh, definitely much closer than last year. So sell the field. I worded that so poorly. But if you look at the disparity, 67 catches for Elijah Moore. The next closest pass catcher was Jerrion Ely at 20, then Dontario Drummond at 13, Octavius Cooley at 13, Jonathan Mingo at 12, Jason Pellerin at 11, Braylon Sanders at 10. If anybody could really push Elijah Moore for leading the team in catches, who's the candidate? Because I think Jonathan Mingo is a little bit more of a specialty-type wide receiver. I don't think he's a target monster like Elijah Moore. Braylon Sanders you could maybe sell me on, maybe. Braylon or Drummond, I guess, if you're not talking about Mingo. Where do you sit on Dennis Jackson right now? I haven't seen him, anything of him. Was, was it he or Jaden that caught the pass that I almost got run over in Tuscaloosa standing on the it field at the end of that game? It was him. It was him? He, he looks good. I mean, they, they said a lot of positive things about him in practice last year, but I, I don't know. I don't Talk to me two weeks into the season, and I could probably give you a better idea if he's on the field. I just I don't really know. It's incredibly hard to gauge. Now, I guess I'd word it this way. I'd probably buy more stock than him and than like the guys that have been around a little bit by Battle and Gregory at this point, would you not? Oh, easily. Because you're going to need three or four guys, not necessarily, but you're going to need three or four guys to be capable. And so you go Moore, Mingo, Sanders, and blank. It's Drummond and him, isn't it? I've been burned too many times by Miles Battle to ever believe again. I just don't know what's going on there. I'll tell you this, in his recruiting class, that was the guy they wanted. Miles Battle was their dude, and he hadn't done anything. You're waiting on Miles Battle to show you something, he hadn't shown you anything. I will say Dontario Drummond, I think, has a real shot. 
And it goes back to what I was talking about with Sam Williams. Elijah Moore put plenty on tape last year for every opposing defense to know Elijah Moore is their best wide receiver. Don't let him beat us. So he's going to be the one drawing double coverage, even when he's in the slot. They'll roll a linebacker to him. Here's a take for you. Is Drummond the one that suffered the most from the schematic incompetence last year? Because if you're talking about receivers yeah. and you're just watching them on the field, and like the amount of guys they rolled out there, he was one of the two, three, where you're just like, okay, this guy doesn't look completely lost and overwhelmed. But the passing game was such a disaster. Like, I would love to know how many targets he had as opposed to catches. Like, he seems to be the guy that maybe suffered the most from scheme. Moore just got force-fed the football. You saw flashes from Mingo as a true freshman, but part of the problem is these other dudes couldn't even get on the field. So it seemed to me like Drummond was probably the biggest victim of Rich Rod, is a simple way to put it. The only other player who has a case is Mingo. Oh, for sure. But he was kind of a baby, you know? Like, you you could see it in flashes. Okay, this kid has something. But he also was a true freshman. Buy or sell, Luke Logan is Ole Miss's starting kicker. <laughs> this cracks. This is one maybe my favorite, like, storyline, but not really storyline. Because I asked you about this in the summer when I was writing something. And basically the answer you get from everyone is, I guess you buy because who else is there? Can you name another candidate? I'm not going to do that thing where I pretend like I'm an expert while I'm covertly looking up who's actually on the roster. I don't know who those candidates are. I'm going to sell it only because Lane Kiffin, when we talked to him on Tuesday, said it's an open competition. But here's the thing. Lane couldn't even off the top of his head list the other candidates either. I'm going to sell it just because they opened the competition. But Luke Logan's the only name he knew. Lane was like, I don't have this information in front of me. I mean, it, that reminds me of last year. It was at some point last year, and I'm going to butcher it if I remember it, like the exact scenario. But I think they were preparing for Tua, and Jacquez Jones came in for you know his Wednesday media availability or whatever, and he got asked like, you know, how are y'all simulating in Tua? And he's like, well, we have the guy on scout team, and somebody's like, well, what's his name? And he was like, I can't remember. I think it was like seller shy, but <laughs> Jacquez Jones was practicing against a dude that didn't know his name. Imagine being that guy. <laughs> Poor dude. Poor dude. Poor dude. <laughs> Buy or sell John Rice Plumley rushing for 600 or more yards. That's just a – I don't know what his snap count like load is going to be, so That's I'm selling why, that. Okay, yeah. Last year rushed for 1,023 yards in 12 games. That's 113.7 per game. But we don't know what his role is going to be. Yeah, and a bajillion of those came against LSU. Is so, it, yeah, I just don't don't know the role. Is it not hard, though, to make that decision or make that call only because if he doesn't rush for 600 or more yards, think about how far of a drop-off that is. Yeah, I just don't know what his role is. I just If I knew more about that and I got a game, it'd probably be easier to go over under or sell. So I'm selling just because I don't know what his role is. Buy or sell six touchdowns or more on the ground. For John Rice Plumley, He had 12 last year. A long of 75, by the way. I just don't feel like I could say buy on this if it's under 600 yards. So I'll go sell. Buy or sell one interception for John Rice Plumley in 2020? Yeah, sell. Can't go that far. Okay. All right. I was digging for that one. Buy or sell at least one touchdown from Ole Miss punt returners this year? Buy if they have Ely back there. Oh, do you? can you really risk him back there, though? No, I guess you can't. Uh, who was, was it? Primarily Moore last year. I don't even remember who it was. Yeah, it was Elijah it Moore. Bit, I want to say it was Elijah Moore. Dontario Drummond did it once, and Jalen Jones. Uh, I'll go by. He'll bust one. Jalen Jones busted a kickoff two years ago, pretty much to open the year against Texas Tech, didn't he? I'll go by. Why not? Yeah, but Jalen Jones is a good kick returner. I don't know if he's a good punt returner. There is a difference there. Here's the thing: almost has been really bad returning punts for a long time. But Elijah Moore was sneaky pretty good. He had a long of 55 last year. He wasn't Collins Mooring it, not to drag Collins Moore. I like Collins Moore as a person. But Collins Moore got put back there as a punt returner just because he would actually catch the ball. Corvick Neat. I wonder what he – he doesn't have eligibility left, does he? <laughs> I know he's not at Ole Miss, but he was around a while. God. Is Jerrion Ely going to return kicks? It can, it's kind of the same thing. Can you risk it? That's what I don't know. Mike McCarthy for the Cowboys. He refuses to say anything about who's returning punts, who's returning kicks. 
He won't say anything. And he's and the reason why his rationale, he said, is because it's an advantage for them. There are no preseason games. Why give away anything? Right now, on the official Cowboys depth chart, Jason Witten is listed as the number one tight end. Here's the problem. Jason Witten is a Las Vegas Raider. That would be tough. But if you're, but if you're in a, that's okay. I get the whole college secret evil media thing, but that's kind of a little much in the NFL. Come on, man. It is, but I'm saying in college, it's the same kind of thing. It's hard to buy or sell anything in regards to kick returns and punt returns because we don't know who that person is and whether or not you want to risk Jerrion Ely. Because if Jerrion Ely is returning kicks and he's also catching passes and he's also rushing the ball as the primary ball carrier, imagine the all-purpose yardage he could actually put up in just 10 games. Because I think Jerrion Ely is a top-two-round pick once he leaves as a junior. So as good as he was as a kick returner last year, can you risk him? That's the question. Yeah, the plot thickens. I just don't know. Just hard-hitting analysis there from Brian Scott Rippey. I don't have much to add. Like, yeah, I mean, do you risk it? Maybe. Is it really worth it? Probably not. No, probably not. Probably not. That's all the buy-sell I got. You got any buy-sell for me? Oh, I'm just spitballing off of the top of my head. Ole Miss, whatever its opening week offensive line is, all five of those guys start over under seven and a half games. Buy, sell, or seven seven games. I'll set oh it at seven. Oh, my God. Sell. Okay. COVID. Here's one for you. Buy or sell, Matt Corral starts every single game for Ole Miss football if he's the starter against Florida. I'm going to buy just to make a certain faction of the people listening soil their pants. I'm going to sell only because, not because I'm some John Rice fanboy or anything. I'm going to sell because when's the last time the starting quarterback for Ole Miss in week one played a whole year as the starter? Didn't get hurt, whatever. Chad Kelly was the last one to complete it. Tom, who technically started all 12 games in 18, but got hurt in the Egg Bowl. But essentially been since 2015. Chad Kelly was the last guy to take pretty much every snap. There you go. I, I don't, he may have come out. You get what I'm saying. Freeze loved uh, what Brunetti, Liggins, whoever the hell that was. Um, <laughs> whatever that was. You get my point, though. Like, not come out of a game for injury. 2015. All right, buy or sell Matt Corral takes every snap as the starting quarterback. Every snap? Oh, easy sell. Yeah, probably. Buy or sell Ole Miss wins one of Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Sell but gets close against Auburn slash LSU. Buy or sell four wins for Ole Miss. I'll hold. Go exactly four. Okay. All right. Four games. He's buying four games. The schedule's really tough, and it's not just because it's an all-SEC schedule. You open against number eight Florida. Kentucky's a good team. They're good. And you go to Lexington week two, come home for Alabama, go to Arkansas. You could effectively start 0-3. Easily. And, and Arkansas isn't a good team. Ole Miss should beat Arkansas, but the problem is it's in Fayetteville. And Ole Miss historically isn't good in Fayetteville. Hell, they almost lost in Fayetteville to that terrible team two years ago. Yeah, that was one of the worst football games I've ever watched. And not to be well actually, guy, just to make the, the aesthetics worse, it was pouring down rain in that dumpy stadium in Little Rock. That was the only game I've yeah. ever watched where I was like, both teams should be awarded a loss. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just... That was the, the Ryder Anderson is, covering a wheel route game. Yes, it was. And somebody had a huge like breakup or something at the I don't know they conducted a pretty good drive to Phil Longo's credit a lot of chasing grass in that last minute the problem is if they don't if they lose that game you're going to Vanderbilt essentially to not start 0-5 right what's the only guaranteed win is there a guaranteed win is Vanderbilt even a guaranteed win Vanderbilt always plays almost close yeah particularly in Nashville so that's the closest one so I guess your answer is no I mean I would I would put more stock in them beating Vanderbilt than Arkansas Florida, Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, LSU. My God. My God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you do. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough. Uh, buy or sell Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl this year? Buy if they get to it. Oh, okay. Ooh, ooh. Buy or sell Ole Miss starts and finishes the entire football schedule? Buy. Because I think there's a world, and I think there's a little bit of spite in terms of the leagues playing versus not playing, uh, to where I just think that if you get four games in, three games in, whatever, they're just going to truck to the finish line, just kind of cuz. This has been Buy or Sell. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey at BS Rippey. Going to go now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Joel Kite. First, we say bye to Rippey. Bye, Rippey. See you, dude. 
If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes, and when you do, leave a five-star review. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And make sure to subscribe to the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com. An affiliate of 247 Sports. It's the website that both I and Rippy write for. Before we jump to Kite, let's hear from BNA Bank and Modern Woodman. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman phone line, it's former Ole Miss linebacker Joel Kite. Kite, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How about you? I'm good, brother. Thanks for coming on and doing this. Um, let me make sure I've got this right. You're back home, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach at Martin Luther King Jr. High School in Lithonia, Georgia. Was coaching always the plan once you finished your playing career? I'm not always. Gonna, I'm not going to say it was always the plan, um, but I knew I wanted to help young men. Um, so you know, I I saw coaching as a great avenue to to help those kids in my in my community. What's it like to be back home, man? That's got to be a trip for you. Man, it, it really is, man. Um, initially, you know, I'm not sure the other guy felt the way. Initially, I was a little embarrassed to go back home. Like, man, I done been to all these different places with Ole Miss and, you know, now I'm back home. But, you know, they, they welcome me with open arms, man. And so, you know, I, I love being here now. So, um, you know, I just want to continue to grow and, and, and grow up here. All right, you're the D.C. So what's the defensive philosophy under Joel Kite? We are attacking. I, I send the I send the pressure. There you um, go. I play man. I, I got some big corners, um, and, and I let them play. And I'm I'm sending the heat, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm sending the heat. So my philosophy is, uh, you know, I feel like I'm smarter than a, a 15 or a 16 year old quarterback. So <laughs> he's gonna have to think on his feet because I'm I'm sending the heat. <laughs> oh man, I love that so much, man. What's the difference for you as far as when you're transitioning, you're used to a certain type of football when you're playing college football and being coached a certain way. Of course, you want to take some things that you learned in all your years of football, but is there a transition that you have to make when you're coaching 14, 15, 16-year-old kids? I think the biggest thing is you have to understand that they're not you. Um, you know, it, it, it'd be plays I'd be thinking they should make. Um, a certain time of terminology I, I use sometimes. And I have to go back and say, you know what? I don't think he they understand what I'm talking about. So, um, you know, I think understanding that they're not me, they're their own player. And, you know, I, I got to coach them to my best ability, but I got to really coach them to understand not only how to do something, but why we're doing it the way we're doing it. Um, and, you know, they're high school kids, so they'll still mess it up. And, um, you know, I, I got to get them to understand you know, you may make a mistake, but try not to make the same mistake over and over. You were a journalism major at Ole Miss, four-time SEC academic honor roll member, 2013 Hampshire Honor Society member for academic excellence. In high school, you've got to teach too, Kite. Tell me you're teaching journalism. 
Yeah, I see the audio video. Audio video, uh, take it film. Come so, on, man. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little different from broadcast journalism, but you know, I still get to work with the cameras, and we still get to film movies and videos and do film festivals and and uh things like that. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit farther than than what I did at Ole Miss, but you know, I'm enjoying it, and um, you know, I I still get to use the camera, so you know, I, I like that. What did you learn in your college career that you would say now makes you a good high school coach? Man, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, to, to my standards, I, I feel like I failed. Um, and because of that, you know, I had to figure out how to how to grow from failure. Um, you know, I ain't fell a lot, especially in sports. I ain't fell a lot growing up. So, you know, what helps me is it's okay for these kids to make a mistake. Let's not make the same mistake twice. Or you may fail. We may have a great game plan, and we still might go out there and, and, and lose the game. But how you pick yourself back up uh, for that next week, you know, how you going to respond to adversity. You know, I think those are the biggest things I had to learn from playing, you know. So I didn't I didn't make it to the league. So how am I going to respond as a man now? Because I got the rest of my life. And, you know, I want my kids to be always be able to respond positively to adversity hold on i don't want to diminish your experience at all but failure come on kite you appeared in all 50 games of your almost career 158 tackles 10 and a half tackles for loss three sacks i know you pursued the nfl but not making it there is that for you what constitutes failure yeah because that was the ultimate goal the ultimate goal right. was to get in the league so yeah. when it didn't you know when it didn't happen naturally you know in my mind that was a failure but looking back at it now Man, I had some great experiences, and I don't look at it as failure now. But, you know, as a young 21, 22-year-old kid, you know, that was, you know, it was it was tough initially. No, that's something that I've actually had a number of conversations with with other former players. Like Kentrell, for example, has talked about that, how when he went to camp with the Redskins, yeah, you're realizing the dream, but not really because immediately, a couple of weeks later, he's cut. C.J. Johnson's had the same kind of experience. And those were both guys that, before they got hurt, were expected to be maybe top three-round draft picks. So to go down like that, they felt that way too. For you, was it – did you get to go to camp? What was the experience like as you were trying to pursue the NFL? So I didn't didn't get to go to camp. Um, You know, I didn't get to go to camp. And just looking back on it, I think I would have really pursued culture right away, maybe trying to be a, a G.A., um, initially, so that way I could be farther along the coaching pole. But, you know, that's just part of growing up and, and, and having a plan for yourself beyond football, man. Because one day football is going to be over, um, whether you go to the league or not. You still got the rest of your life to live. So, you know, having that plan beyond football is huge. Well, it's so interesting, too, man, because y'all are born and bred to be football players, and you're football players for such a long portion of your life. So then to no longer be a football player, I've had this conversation too. It feels like somewhat of an identity crisis, right? Exactly, man. You used to being, um, you know, the attention on you. Um, for some people, they used to being that, that guy. And then all of a sudden it stops, you know. But the game continues to move on without you. And um, you got to learn how to adjust. And you got to learn that, um, for lack of a better word, that you're more than just a football player. You know, there's more to, to kite than just football. And that's what I had to um, – that's the biggest thing I had to learn when I first, you know, finished playing football. Well, there are so many of your former teammates now coaching. Bo Wallace is out there. Vince Sanders is out there. What are your personal coaching aspirations? Well, my personal – I want to get into college. Um, um, and, you know, I'm building. I'm working my way up through the high school ranks because uh, this is what my – I want to say my fifth year coaching, um, and I'm I'm the DC. So the next goal is to be um, a head high school coach, and plan on doing well at that. And then, um, you know, from there, possibly trying to get into the college realms. Um, I also just started online school at Georgia Southern um, for sports management. You know, so the ultimate goal beyond coaching is to be being that college athletic director. Hey, Shay Hodge, he's making bank as a high school coach now. I'm just saying. I mean, and, and in Georgia, man, they they pay they'll, they'll pay the coaches pretty good, man. There you if, go. If, if you're winning ball games, so 
my my goal is to you know really put my my snap put my foot down in this in this culture ram. I love it, um, but I really just you know love helping these these kids, man. Um, you know, one thing I know that they don't necessarily. So when I grew up, you know, I would have my my dad and my mom, um, you know, to talk to to run things over with. Um, some of these kids don't have that, man. So us as a coach, we step in as that as that father figure, man. They they really need it. So, you know, to see them succeed and uh, I just had one linebacker, he got like um seven or eight offers in the spring and you know, just to see how happy he was, man, you know, it, it really lets you know you you're doing the right thing, you're doing right by these kids. So if one of your kids gets an old miss offer, are you biased or do you have to try to play it straight? I'm biased as hell. I love to see <laughs> that red and blue. I'm biased. So, you know, it, 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 a lot of the kids, I just tell them about my experiences. And, and um, you know, they, they say, Coach, I want to see what Ole Miss is about. So, um, I'm biased. I'm not I'm not going to sit here like I'm not. <laughs> when was the last time you were up here at Ole Miss? I came. It's been a while now. Um just because of coaching, man, it's hard to to get here because I'm about five hours away. Um, it's Ole Miss play Mississippi State in the A Bowl. What year was that? I just remember Jalen Walton ran like a 90 yard touchdown mm. that year. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a while. That was for a game, and then maybe a, two or three years ago, I came up there for a graduation. Well, when are you getting back, man? I'm gonna try. I, I, I planned on coming this year. Um, when they played Florida, because you know my older brother, he went to Florida, so that's like a big, mm. a big thing for us. So, um, you know, with COVID, you know, I got to reach out and kind of see how they're going to do that. Um, but, you know, I had planned on coming this year. I told you before we recorded, I can't tell you the number of former teammates of yours I've had on this show that when I asked them about the best linebackers they played with, you're among those mentioned. Forty, probably the founder of the Joel Kite fan club. What led <laughs> what led to your immediate and prolonged success at Ole Miss, do you think? Because there was a lot made of your size when you signed in 2009, and I swear to God, it was as if you were always asked just about that and not the production that you were putting out there on film. Yeah, well, man, shout out to 40, man. That's, that's my guy. <laughs> um, that's my man right there. He had a lot of good times. You know, the biggest thing is, is I, I use that size um, – because, you know, I had that, you know, that argument from high school to all the way to Ole Miss. Um, you know, I kind of used that as my driving force. Um, and I understood that if I wasn't producing, I wouldn't be out there. Because um, if I was producing the same as somebody else, but they're 6'2", 240, um, you know, that I probably wouldn't be on the field. So I know I had to play a little bit harder. I had to study a little bit more. Um and I had to produce a little bit more. So I just naturally understood that. Um, and I just, you know, I kind of knew that kind of went with the game. And, you know, I think that, that helped me while I was there, definitely. What makes a good linebacker in your eyes? Man, the biggest thing uh, to me is, of course, you got to be aggressive. Everyone talks about, you know, that hard-nosed linebacker who's aggressive and loves to tackle. Mm. Um, but I think, man, you got to read your keys. I mean, it's so many – those old linemen and those running backs, they give so many keys. They give you so many different things that they're going to do on each play. Um, so if you're reading your keys and um, you're paying attention to the details, man, I think that makes you a, a great linebacker. Don't get me wrong, you got to be aggressive. You got to love the tackle. I'm not saying that. Um, you, you definitely have to love those things. But the greats, they, I mean, they, they're reading their keys, they, they recognize the formations. Um, you know, they know what's coming before the play snap. And um, I think that will make great linebackers, you know, understanding those formations and reading those keys um, pre-snap. Well, you were in such a unique spot at Ole Miss. You played from 2009 to 2012. So you were one of the few to be on a good Houston Nut team in the first freeze team that surpassed all expectations, reached the BBVA Compass Bowl. First off, what was different, do you think, about those Houston Nut teams in 2010 and 2011 from 2009? Because the bottom dropped out in 2010 and 2011. 
I think it's one of those things, man, where somebody can be in a place, and sometimes you just need a new voice. Um, I don't think Houston did anything wrong. Um, I just think when when Hugh Freeze came in, it was just a different voice. So like my dad, my dad could tell me something over and over and over. But then if um, a coach were to tell me the same thing, sometimes I just hear better from that coach versus my dad. And um, you know, I think that was one of the things that happened between. But nut, it was hearing some of the, you know, his philosophy. We kind of got used to what he wanted, and then when Coach Freeze came in, it was it was a new voice. So um, I think guys gravitated to that um, when Freeze came in. There's no secret at all. Forty didn't like him. Johnny Brown, when he was on the show recently, admitted he wasn't a fan. What are your feelings towards Houston Nut now that you can look back? Man, I, I didn't have no ill will towards uh, Houston Nut, man. I think he was trying to. He was trying to be a player's coach, um, so I, I wouldn't have no ill will. Um, and to be honest, you know, as a defensive player, I I dealt more with uh, Coach Dix mm. than uh, than Coach Duck. So, um, you know, so I don't have any ill will towards uh, Coach Nut at all, man. I think he was just trying to be a player coach, and um, you know, sometimes with that, it got it has the good and the bad that go along with it. For you guys now, it's got to be wild. Derek Nix has been here so long. He's now coaching wide receivers. That's got to be a trip for a lot of you guys. I know. Mr. Running back. So, uh, <laughs> I know. So, you know, the receivers now, you know, it's a little odd. But um, I believe Kevin Smith, the running back coach, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And uh, I know he, he definitely had his history of success at running back at uh, Central Florida. So, you know, I kind of see where where they were going with that. But, you know, it's, it's a trip to see Coach Nick at, at receivers, you know, so I'm interested to see how, how well he does there. Tyrone came back for a, a year, and that was interesting enough. It was like the band was coming back together. Matt Luke, Tyrone Nix, Dean Nix, everybody was all together. That's obviously changed. Lane Kiffin is now the head coach. Has there been any communication? Like you said, you've got some recruitable guys at Lithonia. Has there been any um, contact with Ole Miss coaches in terms of trying to come after some of your kids? Well, I, I I reached out um, when I first went back to MLK. They were kind of on the downswing. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2012, um, and so that last year was my uh, third year there, and that was the first time we got back in the playoffs since 2012. So um, the D1 recruit kind of it was kind of was down, um, but I have reached out to all my connects. I reached out to Coach Nicks. Um, I reached out to the Coach Luke. You know, just you know. Um, sending my guys highlight tapes and, you know, just having them take a look and they had any questions on them. Um, you know, I wanted to speak with them about them. Um, you know, so I was definitely trying to do my part. But we're, we're building this program back up, and I know it's going to take a, you know, we're going to take a minute. Um, so some of our guys are undersized. Um, and, and, you know, I realized that, especially playing D1, so I'll push them anyway. Cause I, got a, I got a linebacker who had uh, 100-plus tackles last year. Um, you know, but I think he may be more of a, a FCS guy. A peek behind the curtain here. I've actually thought about this because in the age of COVID, man, we're just all in the media trying to find some stuff that's interesting. That's why I wanted to talk to you. But I thought about jumping in my truck, driving around to all you guys that are coaching in different spots and just hanging out at practice and writing. So, hey, you might be seeing Ben Garrett show up at an MLK practice. I'm just letting you know. And I'm going to stand right beside you and watch how you go. Hey, come on, Al. You go. I, I guarantee you gonna have a good time. Cause we, I'll be on. We gotta. I gotta be on. Right. Uh, just you know, discipline and and doing the things the right way. So I definitely be on them. Um, you know, one thing I did take for Ole Miss is not the loaf. So anytime I catch somebody loafing, the whole defense gets it. So. Uh-oh. I mean, it's fun, man. So I'd love for you to come out and check us out one day. I'm going to have to do it. Because here's one thing. For all those kids that might be listening to their coach on Ben Garrett's show right now, you need to understand something. I covered this dude. There was never any loafing with Joel Kite. Ever. <laughs> it was 100% crazy motor all the time. That's how he got through it. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you something. You mentioned the change in voice from Houston Nutt to Hugh Freeze when Hugh Freeze came in in mm-hmm. 2012. Seven and six, the Compass Bowl, those are great accomplishments considering where y'all were. But was it more than that? Was there a change in culture of some kind? What else did Hugh Freeze bring that allowed y'all to have that turning point? Well, the change in culture, um, it, it was. I mean, Hugh Freeze, he, he was honest, man. Sometimes you're just, you get used to certain ways and you get into certain habits. 
And when Hugh Freeze came in, he wasn't having that, right? He was going to do it the right way. Um, he had his scheme, which was, I mean, a, a wonderful scheme on offense. Um, Coach Walmart, wonderful scheme on defense. And so, um, you know, they didn't change, they didn't, they weren't afraid to change their scheme um, to work what was best against the opponent we were playing. So, game playing was wonderful. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing, man. Just, you know, we get stuck in our ways, and he came in there and he was like, no, he's going to do it this way because it's the right way. Um, so, I, it definitely would have changed the culture. And the biggest thing that always sticks out to me. Um, I think we were playing Mississippi State that year, and um, I wasn't even in the locker room. I was on the field uh, as a captain, but they always show this clip of him saying, um, you know, that they're playing for the hatred of us and we're playing for the love of one another. Um, and, and, you know, that was that just embodied what he wanted. He wanted that family. He wanted us to play hard for each other. It didn't matter about the other team. It matter about us. Um, and I think that culture really was started to shift you know, when we start building back um, that old Miss Pride. I mean, that's great, Kite, but when he came to Mississippi State, y'all were playing for hate with them too. I mean, of course we don't like them <laughs> at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, at all. So, I mean, you know, but I, I remember that, that. That always stuck out there, man. That was that was really, really dope. You know, now, of course, we're trying to beat them either way, regardless. Trying to beat them by as many points and um, – trying to beat them down, you know, so we, we yeah. understood the ramifications, but, um, you know, the just, that was just an example of just, he was all about us playing for one another. What was that like, get to seven wins, to get to that bowl, especially after the previous two years when the bottom fell out, like I mentioned? Y'all shocked a lot of people showing that Ole Miss, while everyone else thought it was a long ways away, y'all didn't feel that at all. Man, it was huge, man. Like I said, the bottom fell out. We were going home in December and not coming back. So almost it was almost February for those two years, man. No bowls. Um, you know, we're at home at home watching bowl games, man. So for for me personally, it it was huge just being a senior, get to play another game. Uh, you didn't really know what was gonna happen after that. So um it was it was huge, and to get that win against Mississippi State, to get both of them against Mississippi State made it that much sweeter. Um, so it, it it was huge, man. Just the morale of the guys. We get to play in one more game, a bowl game at that. You know, I didn't care what the bowl was. As long as I didn't have to go home, I could play that one more game. It meant everything to me. Well, last thing here, because all these young bucks, they don't quite remember or know how good you were at Ole Miss. So when they say, all right, Coach, point to one play or one moment that really perfectly encapsulates who you were as a player at Ole Miss. What do you always point to? What's your favorite Ole Miss memory? Ooh, ooh, that's, a, that's a tough question, man. Um, hey, that's what I'm here for. That's a tough question, man. You know what? One play that sticks out to me, um, we were playing LSU, and um, I, made a, I made a few plays, man. It was a, a swing pass to a wear. That's what I was going man, for. That, that between that play and then I think it was maybe the next drive or two drive later, and uh, me and Denzel ripped that ball out from um, Jarvis Landry. You know, I always tell my kids about that play as well in, in the end zone. It was on third down, goal line, and we ripped that ball out when they tried to throw it in the middle on us. Um, those two plays really stuck out to me just because of the, you know, it was LSU. Um, it, was, it was my senior year. Um, you know, it just kind of – personify who I want to be as a player, somebody who will, who will run to the ball, tap you, and, and celebrate and have fun, man. So I think that play really embodied um, the way I play football and, and the way I want my kids to play football on defense. That team for LSU, y'all lost 41-35, to 35, but that team for LSU, oh, my God, Jeremy Hill, Jarvis Landry, Spencer Ware, I think ODB was on that team. Zach Mettenberger. Yeah. That was like an all-star yep. team. And y'all played them to the wire. And then beat them next year. Yeah. I know you weren't there, but yeah. Yeah. We should have beat them that year, man. If it I wasn't for yeah. the, uh, that punt return, OD, uh, Odell Beckham, man. He got all of us. He got a lot of people like that. So I'm not going to hold it against yeah. Ole Miss. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was that kind of guy. <laughs> Joel Kite, former Ole Miss linebacker, currently the defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, back home in Lithonia, Georgia, for Martin Luther King Jr. High School. Thank you for doing this, man. It was good catching up, and we'll talk again. All right, man. Appreciate you. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.